Okay, we're going to start chapter 5 now, and this is the chapter where Naaman, the general of Aram, is going to be cured of his leprosy, or the skin disease he has, uh, through the miracles uh, of Elisha. And let's start it, chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, V'naaman Aram, And Naaman was the general of the king of Aram. Again, Aram is the region of Syria today, to the north of Israel. And he was a man of great prominence before his lord, before his king. The Sopanim, everybody respected him and he was highly regarded. Because through him, God gave victory to Aram. And the verse continues that this man was a great warrior, Mitzurah, but he was stricken with leprosy. So there's a lot in that verse, and it's an important verse because it sets up the character of Naaman. First of all, he was the general of the king of Aram, and he was very highly regarded. And, and it says why? Because the Lord gave victory through him. Now, what, what kind of victory did he give through him? Obviously, Aram fought all kind of wars, but the major victory that really turned the tide was, was the victory against the Jewish people in the days of Ahab. If you recall the war of Aram against Ahav, King Ahav, Ahab, king of Israel. We saw that Ahab fell in that war by an inadvertent arrow that struck him uh, in the armor. And this inadvertent arrow, we learn through, through the midst of that David, through the sages, that arrow was shot, again, inadvertently, by Naaman, no other than Naaman, the general of the king of Aram. And he killed Ahav. Now, when he killed Ahav, that, that totally changed the... Uh, dynamics in the region, because Ahav was a mighty warrior, and when Ahav was around, the Jewish people had conquered Aram, Moab, uh, and other areas, areas, and when Ahav went down, we immediately saw that Moab rebelled against uh, Israel right after that. We saw that at the beginning of Kings 2, the very first verse, that when, Yo- when Ahav died, Moab rebelled. So Aram as well with Ahab out of the way, is having their way with Am Yisrael, and at least with the kingdom of Israel, the Machut Yisrael. And so, because Ahav's son Yoram is nowhere near Ahav in his military prowess, the Arameans are kind of having their way with Am Yisrael, as we'll see in the next verse. And Naaman gets the credit for it, and he gives himself the credit for it, but he doesn't realize that the only reason Ahav fell was because Hashem wanted it to be because Hashem decreed death on Ahav for his sins. But unfortunately, the, the Gentile and the Jew as well often attributes the victory to his own might. That it was my might that brought about this victory. Not realizing that it's uh, that these, these warriors, these generals, are simply uh, sticks in the hands of God. As the verse says, Ashur Shevet Api, that Assyria is the stick of my wrath, the staff of my fury. But they say, hey, it's me doing it. And that's where the arrogance comes from. And that's why he's very prominent. But again, it's not because of him, really. It's Hashem's decree. And that arrogance is exactly what brought on the leprosy because the sages teach us that there are many things that can cause this skin disease of leprosy. And one of his Lashonara evil speech, and one of them is also arrogance, Gasuta Ruach. And that's what Naaman has. He's got this Gasuta Ruach, this arrogance and haughtiness 
because he thinks he brought about the victory. And um, we're going to see that arrogance as we go through this chapter. We'll see uh, how it kind of um, is is uh, part of uh, Anaman's nature. He has this kind of haughtiness that he thinks is something really special and he deserves a lot of kavod all the time. So so he's got this um, skin disease, the skin disorder. We'll call it leprosy. It's probably obviously not the same leprosy that's talked about in the Bible in Parshat Mitzorah and Tazria because in that kind of leprosy where a Jew gets it, you know, it's, it's cured by the Kohen. The Kohen comes along and diagnoses it. Here it's like a totally different cure. So let's just call it leprosy or a skin disease, uh, you know, for the sake of uh, understanding what's happening. So it says in verse 2, Varam gdudim Israel. And it says, uh, the Arameans, they would go out in these bands, in Gedudim, and they would capture from the land of Israel, Naraktana. They captured from the land of Israel a young girl, and she would administer to the wife of Naaman. So, that kind of teaches us what's going on here. And we get like a look at the downtrodden situation of Am Yisrael at this time, that the Arameans just do what they want. They have their way with us. They send in these gdudim, these bands. It's not really a war of, you know, of armies versus armies, but they just come in and kind of raid us. And that's what a gdud is. He kind of raids you. Uh, and these raids, they just take Jewish girls and in captivity. And this particular Jewish girl is uh, administering to the wife of Naaman. So it says in verse 3, V'tomer el gvirta. So the girl said to her mistress, that is, Naaman's wife, Let the, my master's supplications or his prayer, Let him pray that he should go before the prophet in the Shomron. And then he would be cured of his prophecy. So this Jewish girl is telling Naaman's wife, that if you really want help for your husband, you should pray that he gets to see this prophet of the Shomron. Because this prophet of the Shomron, I mean, I've seen him in an action, and I've seen his miracles, and he can definitely cure your husband from his leprosy, from his tzara'at. So she knows about Elisha, and she wants to help. And now you could say, well, maybe she's being taken care of nicely by Naaman's wife, and she wants to help out. Maybe she wants to do chesed for him. After all, it doesn't mean that just because she's a captive that she's being mistreated. Maybe she's got a good life there at Naaman's home. And she wants to help out. The Malbim says something else, though. The Malbim says that this girl, she also wants to sanctify God's name. That even though she's a captive, she knows the Jewish people are superior and the prophets of Israel are superior to these phony gods of Aram. And she wants to show it. She wants to sanctify God's name. Despite her being in, the, in capti, uh, captivity. So she's telling Naaman's wife to go see the prophet of the Shomron. And then he will be cured from his prophecy, uh, from his uh, leprosy. Naaman will be cured. Now it's interesting that in Hebrew, it's, what, how do you say to be cured from your leprosy? The word in Hebrew is le'esof otomitzarato. Le'esof means to collect, to gather so what it means to be gathered from your from your leprosy? It should be cured from your leprosy. So in English it says cured. Why does it say in Hebrew less sof to be gathered? Because somebody who gets leprosy, 
is distanced from the uh, people. He's in, he's in his own camp. He's uh, like in Nidoi. He's um, excommunicated, kind of, and isolated. And when he's cured, he comes back to his people and joins them again. So he's collected to them again. And that's why the word is to be collected from his leprosy. And because that doesn't make sense to say it in English, they say to be cured from his leprosy. Okay, so let's see now in verse 4. What happens? And she came and she told him, Master, saying, that is, Naaman's wife tells Naaman the following, This young girl said the following, This young girl from the land of Israel, she spoke to me about the possibility of seeing this prophet in the Shomron to help you. Verse 5. So the king of Aram said, So the verses kind of skip here. The narrative doesn't go through all the steps. But obviously, Naaman, through protocol, goes to the king of Aram. And the king of Aram tells Naaman, Well, let's do it. You know, I'll, I want to help you out. So he says, Come and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And take with you a really huge gift here. Take in your possession 10 talents of silver, 6,000 gold pieces, and 10 uh, suits of clothes. So the king of Aram is sending Naaman to the king of Israel with a huge amount of gifts and hoping that the king of Israel can direct him somehow to the prophet or to the right channels where Naaman could be procured of his prophecy. So it says now in verse 6, So they brought the uh, letter to the king of Israel. And this letter said, When this letter comes to you, I have sent to you Naaman my servant, and you shall cure him of his leprosy. So, again, the letter is now being directed to the king of Israel. His name is Yoram, we know. And they want Yoram to worry about Naaman getting cured. Now, we don't know what's in the letter. Did it say to send it to Elisha? Maybe Elisha's not even mentioned here. Even though the girl mentioned there's a prophet of the Shomron, by the time this letter got, got to the king of Israel, it could be saying, you know, just take care of Naaman, make sure he gets cured. And the king of Israel, as we'll see, isn't thinking of going to uh, to Elisha uh, to help him out. But why does the letter go to the king of Israel instead of to straight to Elisha? Another possibility could be that, and this is what I think the Radak brings down, that when Naaman got his leprosy, if we recall, he got it, uh, and he's think, he thinks he's being punished for killing Achav. That's what he thinks. That is, he thinks that the son of Achav Yoram put the whammy on Naaman and went to the prophet and he said to the prophet, listen, this Naaman killed my father. I want you to give him leprosy. And that's why they're turning to the king of Israel here because they think it's the king of Israel who's upset with Naaman for killing Achav. So that's how the Radak understands it. Or could you be simple protocol that to get to the prophet, you got to go through these channels. In any case, let's look at the reaction of the king of Israel upon receiving this letter. Verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, 
he rent his garments like it was in mourning. What am I, God, that I have the power to bring life or death to people when I can cure somebody of his leprosy? What, I can cure a man of his tzarat? No, and see that they're looking for a pretext against me to just abuse me. So Yoram is totally out of the loop here. He's totally, a, you know, you can see he's just a coward. And he just looks, thinks this whole thing is just a pretext for Aram to, to attack him because he knows he can't solve this problem. And he doesn't even think of going to Elisha to solve the problem. And some of the commentators say it's because he won't go to Elisha because Elisha hates him. If you recall, King Yoram was together with King Yoshaphat a couple chapters ago at the end of Kings 1. And Elisha told King Yoram, listen, I don't even look at you in the face. I'm going to speak to Yoshaphat, not to you, because you're evil. So obviously Elisha doesn't have a good relation to King Yoram. And he obviously rebukes him at every turn because Yoram is a Russia, he's evil. And so he's not going to turn to Elisha. He's just going to sit there and cry. So what happens then when verse 8, Vayi Kishmoa, Elisha. And when the Elisha, Isha Lukim heard this, he heard that the man, that the king of Israel rent his garments, and he said to the king, and he said, What are you renting your garments for? What are you mourning about? Let him come to me. And let him know there's a prophet in Israel. So Elisha gets word of it. And he tells the king of Israel, what are you crying about? What are you mourning about? Send him to me and I will cure him of his prophecy. And why will I do it? And he says the reason. Not that he loves Naaman, but the end of verse 8 says, So they'll know there's a prophet in Israel. And that's a very important uh, part of that verse that Elisha's not doing it because the Jewish people deserve it or Naaman deserves it. Certainly King Yoram doesn't deserve it. But sometimes the desecration of God's name is so great and so and so obvious and, and, and it's such uh, blasphemous that everybody's laughing at us and we're so weak. The Jewish people are so weak that the prophet will do an act to prove that, you know what? There is a God in Israel. There's a prophet in Israel. The God of Israel exists. So I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for God's sake. And that really coincides with, uh, if you look at chapter 36 of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel talks about how he will bring the Jewish people back to the back, back to the Eretz Israel, and we'll collect them from the Goyim. And he says, you didn't, they don't deserve it. We don't deserve this Jewish state we're in today. Ezekiel says, but because of the desecration of my name, not for you, but because of the desecration of the 2,000 years of exile with the Jewish people who humiliated and downtrodden through the pogroms and the Auschwitzes, big and small, I will bring you back so, to Israel so they'll know that there is a God in Israel so there won't be such a Chilul Hashem anymore. There'll be a Kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of God's name to offset the desecration of God's name. And that's exactly what Elisha is saying here. He's saying the Am Yisrael is in such, bad, in such a bad way. The king's crying. The people are being mugged and raided and they're taking away uh, Jewish girls in captivity. 
we're so downtrodden here, the Malchut Yisrael, the Kingdom of Israel, that I want to do this so they'll know finally, at least in a small way, Israel. there's a God in Israel, and there's a prophet in Israel. And that's why Elisha is going to help Naaman. So let's see what happens now in verse 9. So Naaman comes along with his horses and his chariot, and he's waiting there at the doorway. So he comes to Elisha's house. Now, you got to realize, this is a man, very respectable. He's got his big entourage with him, and he's waiting by the doorway there, and, you know, he wants the prophet to come out to him because he's used to everybody, you know, kowtowing to him and give him a covet all day. So he's there at the petach, at the opening of the house of Elisha. Of course, Elisha probably has like the most humble abidings you can imagine, right? We saw last chapter that part of anything to eat, right? And so it says in verse 10, So what does Elisha do? Oh, he's going to help Naaman. But he's not going to even go out to him. He sends a messenger to him. He dispatches a malach, a messenger, and says the following, the messenger, Go and immerse yourself seven times in the Jordan. And you, your flesh will be restored to you and you will become clean and pure and your leprosy will go away. That's what Elisha tells him to do. Dip into the Jordan River seven times. Sometimes, some, people, some commentators say seven times because the Goyim are supposed to observe the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach. In any case, what's interesting again is that Elisha doesn't go out of... He doesn't go out personally at all. He sends a guy to do it. He sends one of the other prophets to go out to um, Naaman. He's not, you know, overwhelmed with Naaman's presence the general of Aram is at my doorway. I must go out to him and, you know, kiss his whatever. No, he sends out one of his students and tells him what to do. Now, Elisha, Naaman doesn't like that. You know, we said he's an arrogant fellow. And here we see his arrogance in, in verse 11. And Naaman got really angry now. And he walked away. He's going. Because that wasn't to his covert, right? To send, to send a messenger out to him. Vayomer. I thought that he would come out to me. Yet say yet so. I figured he'd come out. I was figuring he would come out and he would stand and call in the name of his God. I expected him to kind of stand there and wave his hand and call in the name of his God, you know, with some fancy hocus pocus and a safet mitzorah. That's how he would cure the mitzorah. That's what I expected. That's what I just imagine to myself, would be. But he didn't do that. He didn't come out. He sent somebody else out. And what did he tell me? Eh, go go and take a, a dip in the Jordan River. Come on, that's not what I expected. So we see Naaman is so upset because it's not going his way that he actually is willing to walk away from it all. I mean, he's there just about to go home. He's not going to take the advice of Elisha. So... His, he continues in verse 12. And now we see this. He's got his really Syrian pride here. We'll see a Syrian pride. The Amana River and the Parpa Rivers, all those Damascus Rivers, they're much better than the waters of Israel. I mean, what's that little tiny Jordan River? You know, it hardly gets to my kneecaps. If I want to dip in a river, I'll immerse myself in those rivers in Syria, they got real rivers over there. I might as well dip into those rivers. 
v'tehati, and I will become clean. And again it says, and he turned and went away in anger. So verse 12 is another verse where Naaman is just incensed that Elisha not only did not go out to him personally, he expected to come personally and maybe wave his hand and do like a, it's like a ceremony, a hocus pocus over his, over his leprosy, but to go in the Jordan River? What the heck is the Jordan River? I got the manor and the parpar and the river is Damascus. So again, the arrogance and the Pride is coming through here, a national pride as well for his own country. Now his servants are going to like, Naaman's servants are going to kind of um, uh, bring, bring him to his senses. And his servants approached and spoke to him. And they said, Avi, master. And notice they word Avi, which means my father. I mean, that's the respect they give to Naaman. They call him Avi. That's what Elisha called Elijah, my, my, my father. But, here it's translated as my master. Listen, they tell him, if the prophets told you to do something that was really wild and difficult to do, you would do it, wouldn't you? You would do it. Like if he told you to do like a hundred cartwheels in the river and say something 38 times, you would do it. So if he tells you to just go and immerse yourself and become clean, why you should do that. In other words, they're trying to basically tell him, what do you care? Just do what he says. Who cares? You know, it's all the more so you would do something difficult, so you should do something simple. So they kind of bring him down from his high horse and they convince him to give it a try. Verse 14, And he did. He went down. He immersed himself in the Jordan seven times. And you know what happened? And his flesh was clean like the flesh of a young boy. Just like a baby's skin, he became clean. And he was, imagine the feeling after having that disgusting skin disease, all of a sudden you just smooth as silk. And it says in verse 15, And he returns to the Ishalukim. He returned to the man of God. His entire camp. And now we're going to see the humility in uh, Naaman, the tremendous change in him after being the recipient of this miracle. And maybe we'll stop here because uh, it's getting a bit long and we'll continue with Naaman and Elisha and later on Gehezi is going to get involved. What happens after Naaman is cured of his leprosy?